So the Lincoln Project is urging corporations to take, quote, the D pledge. <laughs> I thought that's what got them in trouble in the first place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Ruthless Variety program. The D Pledge is something I didn't see coming. Thank you, Mr. Duncan. Not exactly the best branding idea they've had over there. <laughs> Yikes, as they say. Yikes. Well... Listen, we got a great program today, a very exciting action-packed. There's a ton of stuff going on. We have two interviews. Yeah, it's a doubleheader. We have two interviews, and we got them stacked. I mean, gosh, our scheduling, Hollywood Hen, by the way, is just working through the schedule because everybody's yeah, standing work. Uh, but today, we have the CEO of the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, with us. Huge First- fan of that website, man. They are absolutely hilarious. Totally hilarious. He's first class guy, kind of guy that you can totally get along with. I spent, you know, 20, 25 minutes talking to him and I, I felt like we could have spent the afternoon just shooting the shit. Really, really good dude. Uh, I know you'll enjoy that. And then also for those of you um, who've been listening to us, we put a lot on these off year elections we've been talking about. And the, the first one, obviously coming up in Virginia, the governor's election. And we talked to Pete Snyder, who's a candidate in the Republican primary there a few weeks back. And Glenn Youngkin, his opponent, heard it, and uh, lo and behold, he wanted to come on the Variety program and present his case as well. And so, hey, listen, we'd love to be a destination for for every. We're kind of a destination for 2024, but yeah. I'll take it in 2021 too. So Glenn Youngkin's going to join us as well. Yeah, if there's an election or, or a Republican primary, you know, the first stop has to be right here on Ruthless. You got to come on here. You got you got to you got to uh, state your case for the primary. And if you're running for president, you got to announce here too. You got to, you got to, and everybody's been doing a great job. We had a great week last week, a big week this week. And man, I, I'll be honest. I feel like we're just inundated with fake news. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is so uh, you, you look at the examples we have, we've, we've got the Hunter Biden thing where it's kind of like, he comes out, he says, I mean, it could be my laptop. While we were told, we were told by journalists and big tech, oh man, this is Russian disinformation. We are going to block anyone from discussing it. We are going to lock up the New York Post's account for 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 their uh, investigation into this. This is disinformation, and and lo and behold, it was it was true. <laughs> and none none of those journos who are saying this is Russian disinformation, none of those journos are are apologizing for it. That was part of the plan. They're like, okay, you know, if it, if it hurts the Dem, yeah, we'll say it's disinformation. We'll block the public from hearing this information weeks before an election. That seems normal. Yeah, just moving on, right? And then we saw over the weekend a fun little 60-minute story that popped up with Governor DeSantis, which, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten all the way through it. All I watched was I watched the 60 minutes piece, and then I watched the rebuttal, which is like, you know, that they omitted a whole bunch of it. To be honest with you, I kind of just want to talk to Governor DeSantis about it. Right, right. I mean, we've had, so for uh, a number of weeks, we've had the Minion saying, hey, 
when's DeSantis coming on the show? And, you know, sure enough, we've reached out to his folks. Message was received over there in his camp. Waiting yeah, we've been back. taking the heat for not having him on. The yeah. message has been sent from the Ruthless Variety program. Yep. We've been talking to his communications people. We have not had it scheduled. I'm hoping we can resolve this conflict. I mean, it's it's almost weird at this point. We've had, what, like a dozen senators? You name it. We've had, we've had numerous. We've had the most uh, important House members on here. We had well, Mitch. We had Pompeo. I mean, the lineup is, is pretty bananas we've had. It's just like a... Got to come on, Governor DeSantis. I mean, it's got a very crowded on deck circle, to be honest with you, Smug. It's like you should. Yeah, see- yeah, we got to have double headers. So many people are showing up on the on the on the variety program now. So DeSantis, it's time. Let's talk about the sixty minutes thing and everything else. I, I do think he got a raw deal on that, but there's it, that's what I'm talking about. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Which leads me to the update on Hack Madness. We are now in a championship game setting. So. It is huge. We had an upset. I consider an upset. Ruben's a number one seed. Stelzer's a number one seed. Me personally, my bracket, I, I had I had Stelter. Uh, oh, I forgot that match, you, man. You had the potato. Well, I mean, look, he's the defending champion. It's his until they take it, and she took it. Yeah, I mean, you see the way Stelter had gotten through his opponent so far in, in the tournament. I think it was like the smallest margin was like fifty points. You know, he'd been just <laughs> destroying teams out here. Uh, and wow, Ruben did it, you know, huge credit. She's, she's had the brainworm takes unfailingly day after day, like a champion wakes up every morning, drops the craziest takes possible under the guise of being the, you know, quote, conservative opinion writer of the Washington post. Jen Rubin did it up, 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 huge upset for me, broke my bracket. Jen Rubin top stelter. I think, you know, what I really liked about that matchup is we had Brian Stelter who, is longing for the days of Donald Trump to be around Mm -hmm. and his show. It's seemingly, you know, every single time he's on there, he's saying, can we talk about Biden without Trump? But then you got Ruben who is now basically like a PR flack for the Biden administration, attacking other journalists in the press conferences and saying how, you know, they're giving Biden a raw deal. So you've really got two different, you know, types of personas here. I I think it was back and forth for a while. There was 50, 50 for a while there. And look, I mean, it's a tick. Tight as a tick. tick. So anyway, the championship game, the voting is now open. Um, It is Ruben Cuomo for all the marbles. Huge. And And, again, I I just want to reiterate a lot of credit to Rupar, who'd been dropping just absolutely hack takes to the point that the Chinese Communist Party was running with this messaging. He put in the work. You know, congrats to him for making the final four of Hack Madness. Total, absolute, peak performing liberal hack. But what are you going to do? Fredo? Fredo's Fredo. Well, and sometimes it's not all on you, you know? I mean, like, look, in the the case of Cuomo, he got a little help from the family. He got a little help from the bench. Yeah, yet again. Yet again. His brother's carrying him. Yeah, the scandal break where uh, Cuomo, I heard, so I read that uh, Andrew Cuomo was pulling resources from nursing homes. To like provide care, testing, and everything to Chris Cuomo. Yikes! What? Yeah, yikes! It's to make sure that he's getting his his testing done out there in the Hamptons, and the results did, are where, rushed. Where, where did you? What? What? Where? It was the New York Post that had this. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And CNN had to have known this. Had to have known this is going on when they had their like fake setup of like now he's coming out of the basement. Now he's healed. No man, they were having the governor was rushing tests 
around the clock anytime his family needed it. So, you know, congratulations to Fredo. Another mm. family scandal. His brother yet again helping him get to where he is. Well, he's in the championship. He's glided through his bracket all the way through to the championship game, but he has got a tough test ahead of him. And let me just tell you, after watching Ruben dispatch of Stelter, I think she's the on, odds-on favorite. She's been all year the best team. Yeah. All year. Yeah, that's the thing is Ruben takes no days off. Every day no is off. a day to drop drop the lib takes. Every day. So I think she's I think she's coming in with a head of steam. I, I will also say that I think that the the overall bracket, everything that we've done here from beginning to end has been just a smashing success. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the vote tally is insane. Like, I'm pretty sure we cracked like half a million votes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like we get better turnout than some like congressional districts. It's incredible. <laughs> we have very permissive voting laws, though, Smug. Yeah, right. Right. Very no permissive. So, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, Duncan, do you think we ought to just jump right into this Major League Baseball Corporation situation? Because I'm pretty pissed off about this. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think now's the time. And I think like, look, you know, we we've debated it. You know, we've we've tried to debate in good faith with uh, these Democrats and the media and Frankly, I'm not going to do it anymore because they're just liars um, and yes. they call it Jim Crow on steroids and, and they don't have to do anything to justify that. And so at some point, you know, as a Republican, as a conservative, you have to look around and realize that we are not in debate. We're in a war. Yep. Also, so number one, I am so with Duncan on this base. Duncan has had enough of this. BS. I am with him on that. The fact that like you have these activists that have labeled this is like this is the new Jim Crow. That's become their new attack. New attack. Like they're not telling you that. Oh, actually, after after these uh, uh, you know voting laws would pass, Georgia would still be easier on voting than New York State. New York State, which has a dem from the governor on down, super majorities in, in the state legislature. Every every uh, uh, in Manhattan, every city council race, every, every single seat that could be Dem is pretty much Dem, and their voting laws are more strict than Georgia's would be after these, and they're calling that Jim Crow. So what's New York Ultra Jim Crow? Is is like Super Jim Crow? Well, so, so so just for our listeners who maybe aren't completely up to date on this here, so Georgia passes a new voter reform law. And, you know, Joe Biden says it's Jim Crow on steroids. Stacey Abrams, you know, basically organizes all this opposition to it in the state. Um, again, you know, she, she has never conceded that she lost the gubernatorial race. Um, she lies constantly on CNN about um, this election law and convinces a bunch of these corporations to essentially um, oppose the law and gets MLB to remove the all-star game from Atlanta. So that's where we are now. And that's the state of play. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, where I'm at on this is basically we have to fight back. We, we can no longer let, um, you know, the narrative just get shaped by people who are shameless liars and companies who support it need to be punished. Correct. And I, yes, I think we need to take their tax breaks away. I think yes. we need to bust the trust of the MLB. Yes. 
I think yes. take away lo- local incentives, uh, you know, for all these stadium taxes. You know, why are the people of Atlanta or D.C. paying stadium taxes for a multi-billion dollar uh, industry? And go further, go further than, than just the MLB. Look at corporate America writ large. Any of these companies that are mandating critical race theory training, sue them. It's racist. It is a racist ideology. It violates civil rights. Period. Like if, sue if, all if, those if, people. If baseball players can get a $100 million contract, yeah, Taxpayers don't need to pay up, pick up the bill for them to have their like uh, woke agenda being pushed on fans. We want to see people play a baseball game. That's not what you're getting now. Now, now they're they're a political organization. They're going to move the All Star Game, which is going to cost Georgia a hundred million dollars in losses. Good good job over there, folks. Yeah, you know, I'm, I mean, I I I'd like to say we need to you know, fight for, um, you know, Cobb County, but Cobb County, you voted for Joe Biden. Wow. You like that? How does that taste? Yeah. Corn no, Cobb not- County. This is what you voted for. Corn Cobb County. You know, and, and, and to all our libertarian friends who will say, well, using the power of the state is dangerous. You don't know how this will end. Well, where's it going to end if we do nothing? Right. Where's it going to end? Are, are we winning? Are we, are we winning any of these issues? No. And there's this there, there's this great meme of like uh you know the terminators coming out and like killing everybody they got their feet on skulls and some libertarian jumps out and they're like listen guys i'm not comfortable with us going after skynet they're a private company they have the right to do what they want that's the libertarian argument here well, well, so so these people will say they'll say oh well we'll let the marketplaces uh, the marketplace of ideas decide and it's like oh really We've got journalists and left-wing activists targeting Stripe for processing Republican donations. We've got them coming after server companies, hosting services for hosting conservative websites. We've got people targeting GoFundMe. So we've gone from, wow, uh, you know, that tweet maybe crosses the line. We need to talk about free speech to Republicans, conservatives. You shouldn't be able to exist in society. That's yeah, where we are now. That's it. That's so, it. So that's the point. The, the point is, unless you have your fucking head buried in the sand, what you, what you should be blatantly obvious to all of us is that they are coming for everything. Yep. You believe in anything that is conservative. If you believe in a free market. If you believe in a, a family values for crying out loud, anything other than a woke agenda, you're on the chopping block. And don't think for a second that this is about being reasonable. You can keep your head down and you can just sort of ignore while somebody else, you know, they moved some, the game out of somebody else's city. No, 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 no. They're coming for everything. And I'm when just, they say, you know, like libertarians are like, oh, let the marketplace of ideas decide. Here's what's happening in the marketplace of ideas. You have journalists from, from quote, res- respectable outlets like CBS, CNN, ABC, all the, all the, you know, old media respectable outlets are pushing this fake line that you're not allowed to get water if you're in line to vote. That's, that's a complete lie. I, well, it's they an say absolute all- lie that they've pushed about this <laughs> bill. They, they say marketplace of ideas, but what they fail to tell you is the marketplace of ideas is controlled by a bunch of monopolistic corporate entities that decide what you can read and see and watch. I mean, give me a fucking break. This isn't a philosophy. It's a fetish. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and that's why I see I see eye to eye with Duncan on this is that I, I've gotten full joker. I, I, I don't think that you can argue 
with these corporations. If they want this, so be it. Let them burn with it. CNN should be punished if, 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 if this is a Jim Crow law. They need to get their headquarters out of Atlanta. If yep. they stay there, they support it. MLB, you know, you haven't gone far enough. The fact is, you look at the MLB top to bottom, they're, they're, they're an absolutely evil organization. I mean, you've got, you've got the athletics. That's, that's body shaming. <laughs> you've got the Braves and Indians. They got to be abolished. You got the Orioles, the Jays, the Cardinals. They should donate all proceeds to the Audubon Society. The Tigers and Cubs, they got to give all their money to endangered species converse, uh, conservation. It's, it's, it's gotten to their folks. We need to demand the MLB now live up to the standards that they're starting to demand out of others. Well, what it, was a it, it was a segregated league. Why, why, isn't the, why isn't the MLB paying reparations? MLB oh, that's should right. 100% pay reparations. They should be paying reparations for crying out loud, the racist bastards. I mean, here's the thing, dude, is that it's all based on a lie, right? Yep. And we're talking about MLB here. But I think the, the much larger concern that most Americans should have is that corporate America, which controls an inordinate amount of wealth in this country, certainly controls a heck of a lot of jobs and wealth creation in this country in this country was bowled over by a lie that didn't have any, it like literally didn't have a foothold in reality at all. I mean, it was, it was made up conjured up bullshit. The stuff that Stacey Abrams was talking about that, that made the Georgia whole legislation you know, got them attention in the first place, all fell out of the bill. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a part of the law. Ultimately what they passed as we've covered a couple of times on the program was significantly less restrictive than like two thirds of the States in this union. That's the thing is, so there's this really great uh, couple of tweets from red Steez. He was on the show. If you don't follow him, you absolutely should follow him on Twitter. So uh, the New York times on April 3rd tweeted, Democrats are concerned that Georgia's new voting law will have significant effect on turnout and electoral outcomes. The evidence suggests otherwise. And he said, damage done. He said, damage done. He said, quote, we told you for weeks this was Jim Crow on steroids, but turns out it really isn't. Ah, well, that's the thing, folks. That's the thing. They get away with lying. Hey, that's fine. They consider that a win. Right. It doesn't it doesn't matter at the end of the day to them. The ends justify the means. My message to these corporations is quite simple. Trying to negotiate rationally with a woke mob like this is like asking the hangman to be the last one in line. Don't do it. Yep. Don't do it. But the thing is, is this isn't new. Right. This isn't this is what this is what leftists have done across the globe since the beginning of, of politics. This is what they do. It's not, shouldn't be like, I don't understand the lack of sophistication in these corporations fucking boggles my mind as if you're going to get into a discussion where they're all of a sudden like, okay, now we'll leave them alone. Right. Like Coca-Cola, my, my love Coca-Cola comes out with a strong statement against, they don't even know what the fuck they they don't even, they don't even, they don't even say what it is that their problem is, but they've got a huge problem with it, obviously. And then the woke mob all of a sudden is like, oh, yeah, no, no, we, we don't care whether you like it or not. We want you to fund the litigation against it. Isn't that something? <laughs> that's how that's how emboldened they've become is before this ground to now. It's like this brand needs to do exactly what we ask them and they need to pony up and pay for what we tell them to. And I guarantee you there are people in their outfit that are like, we should do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, let's totally. Play, let's pay the bounty. 
Well, there was yeah. there was Mar- Mark Elias puts out this tweet, you know, d- the Democratic lawyer puts out a tweet, you know, commending Microsoft for its strong statement against the Georgia election law. Who do you think Microsoft's lawyers are? Yeah, him. His firm. His firm Boom. represents them. Boom. <laughs> That's what this is about, folks. They don't care that the facts are against them. They don't care that the facts show that New York State, as blue as a state gets, their laws are more restrictive than Georgia's after these. They don't care about those facts. This is about the money. Smug, they all want to get theirs. Smug, speaking of money, I mean, that's that's where all of this really, you know, goes for me is squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Yeah. And this woke mob, you know, plans their boycotts and say, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. I mean, we got to start being the squeaky wheel. Yes. Yes, we do. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought... Like McConnell yesterday had a really nice little rejoinder. It was basically just a stick in the ribs to let them know you're there. You know, it's like, okay, you want to play this game, corporate America? We're going to remember that. We're going to remember that. And every conservative should remember that because here's the thing. The people who hate you, the people who want to basically eliminate you from the face of the planet, those people are playing for keeps. Yep. Everywhere, right? It's not about your voting rights. They don't want they don't want you to draw breath. Yep. I mean, it's it's and and let's not reduce this stupid bullshit to to a racial activity, which it clearly is not. It clearly is not. What this is is an ideological difference. They do not appreciate conservative ideology, and they'll do anything they can to try to mitigate it. Anything. And if that means if that means talking about it in a racial context. Terrific. That's what they'll do. But that's not what this is about. Everybody knows that's not what this is about. It is just, but it's disgusting. The fact that we've allowed corporate America to sort of duck in underneath it and give it air and and pretend like this is a real argument. I mean, where the fuck is the Chamber of Commerce? Does that place even exist any longer? BRT? Who the fuck is running that outfit? I mean, seriously, I don't understand what it is that these operations do for a living, if not showing their members what's happening in Washington, D.C. and in the states that they operate. I thought that was their job. There is no such thing as business advocacy anymore. They're just that, just that was their job. That was their job. They, oh, now, now they just endorse Democrats. Yeah. And then they're shocked when this happens. They're like, what? And they're going to come. This and is what I, you got. This you know what? what? And here's the thing. At the same, they're doing all of this the same week that they're sending out these tepid statements like, oh, hey, we love all your spending. Biden administration, we're a little concerned about the tax increases. Yeah. And, they're, yeah. and then they're, and they're expecting the Republican Party to be with them. Nope. Ideologically with them, they save their bacon from all the tax increases. Mm-mm. This Nuh-uh. is what you wanted. This is what you wanted, and you're getting it now. You Me personally, bet. so I'm a Yankees fan. So like a typical Yankees fan, I don't really even watch baseball. So it's <laughs> going to be very easy for me to just boycott the MLB. So- <laughs> My fellow Yankees fans, who we also just like, none of us are true fans, just don't watch MLB. Done. I did. I did. I, so you get a free week of MLB. I'm a big baseball fan. And you get a free week of MLB at the beginning of every season. And I was going to order the, the MLB ticket because the Twins have a good team this year. I love the Twins. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. And I never do shit like this. You know, like I love Bruce Springsteen. I hate his politics. I, Almost everything in my life doesn't correspond with my politics. In this one, it's just pushed me too far. I can't do it. I can't do it. I and I think everybody listening do the same. If you want to listen, if you want to follow your local team, great. 
But if you're subscribing or buying their products, don't do it. I don't love it. Duncan is typically this like, you know, rational, normal, suburban dad guy. But he just got so heated and based on this. And and I'm 100% now listening to Duncan. I've gone full joker. I'm done with it. I want all these corporations to burn. They all deserve this. They tried playing, you know, the games. They tried paying the ransom. They're going to catch it. I think we should do everything we can to make all these corporations suffer because of the choice that they made. Well, here's the, you don't, you can have philosophical disagreements. You can have political disagreements. You can support different candidates. You can have partisan fights. You don't get to walk in and call people racist. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to do that. If you, if you do that, you don't get a redo. You and here's the thing is back at it. the absolute proof, the absolute proof that this had nothing to do with race, that this was just an absolute power play. Because listen, folks, Dems won. They want to lock up these elections so they never lose again. They're trying to turn D.C. into a state. They're trying to control the Senate. They're trying to uh, get rid of the filibuster. They're trying to pack the courts. This is, all, this is all part of the same game. It starts with them taking control of elections. So anything that they feel makes an election more secure. Folks, Georgia's bill is less restrictive than New York State's, but they know, the left knows, you dig in and you fight every fight like it's your last one. They instantly started calling this Jim Crow. You know that like racial aspect is BS because the other day when Biden was asked if he supports uh, the MLB moving their all-star game, Jen Psaki was like, the, pre- uh, the president believes that uh, companies have the right to express what they want. Four, five days earlier, he said point blank, he supports the all-star game being moved. He called it Jim Crow on steroids. You know why he doesn't care? Because everyone knows this is a joke. This isn't Jim Crow on steroids, but they use that to get everyone in line. They, they know they say Jim Crow. That's like, oh, shit, I, 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 I can't disagree with them or else I'm Jim Crow. Yep. It, it, it's, it's part of their long game. This is the last thing I'll say about this. They know that they're losing the argument, particularly with African-Americans and Hispanic Americans. They know that they lost vote share in two consecutive elections mm-hmm. and that there are significant portions of the population, both in the black community and the Hispanic community that are significantly more conservative than your average Democrat. And they have nothing in common with woke progressives. Nothing, like zero. I mean, the only, let's be honest, the only reason that Joe Biden is president is because a a sort of center-right African-American majority within the primary electorate elected him as the rest of them were going off the left-hand side of the map. So there's a huge base of support. The, the, The ceiling for for the black vote within the Republican party is much further away than the floor is. Let's put it that way, Hmm. right? There is a ton of room for growth. Democrats know that. That's why they have to win this argument. They have to convince black voters and Hispanic voters and basically women too, that somehow your sexist, racist, uh, misogynist opposition doesn't care about you. Because if you listen to the policies, Boy, they sure sound a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Is they know the only way they can it's absolute fake news. They lied about you're not allowed to get water in line. F- folks, that is an absolute lie that was parroted innumerable times 
by members of the media who should know better. Some of them tried saying, well, an activist told me this. Of course, an activist told you that. Their job is to trick idiots like you into pushing <laughs> their BS. And you got played, friend. They said, you can't get water if you're in line. No, political operatives are not allowed to hand out bottles of water because you could put vote Biden on a bottle of water and hand it out. New York has New York State has the same rules. New York State is more restrictive, way more restrictive than this. So when they told you and they told the public, they're like, this is Jim Crow on steroids. When Biden ran with that, they know no one's going to look in the details. They know the media is with them. The media will not do a fact check on this because they can do whatever they want. They can they can block out information. Big tech's in it with them. The corporations are now on board with them. When they say that, oh, that Hunter thing is disinformation. Okay, block out any dissent. We will kick anyone off the platform who tries saying otherwise. That goes for the New York Post as well. And other journalists fall in line. They're okay with that. So when you have these people say, this is Jim Crow on steroids, okay, fine, we'll run with that. We're not going to fact check and say, holy moly, New York State has more restrictive voting laws. This has nothing to do with Jim Crow. Of course they won't say it. Of course they won't say it. They're, like, they're scared that people at the New York Times have to be scared that they're going to be the next target of their Slack group. So of course they're not going to tell you the truth. Yeah, right. Listen, we're going to stay on this. Obviously, HR1 is coming up at the beginning, which is basically why this is all happening right now, is it's all a big campaign to try to get Democrats to take over the federal elections entirely, right, which is coming up. So so we're going to stay on this. You all are, are obviously aware of our passion for this issue, but I got to get to a couple interviews. The first one is Seth Dillon. Babylon B, which we love, we love, we love. I first we first reached out to him when the New York Times attacked them for trafficking in misinformation. They said this is just so a, wild, dude. just a classic. So wild. It's like it's it's perfect. The, the New York Times just did like a full corn cob on this deal, right? They 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 act as though that they are not the boomer publication, and then it just completely verifies all of your suspicion, but they're doing it. They're saying that the Babylon Bee is doing this misinformation under the guise of satire. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Babylon Bee, but if you've seen it, there's no guise. It's satire. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you about that. Like you have to be beyond dumb to think that like insanely, I mean, it's insanely hilarious, but it's so out there. The jokes that Babylon Bee puts out there, it's, it's, it's like we said, it's because they just don't want conservatives to have any kind of a say anywhere. Totally. So let's get right to it. I want to welcome Seth Dillon. He's the CEO of the Babylon Bee. We are massive fans here on Ruthless. We wanted to have him on here for a bit because, frankly, we kind of enjoy the same brand of humor in a lot of ways. But Seth, welcome, man. Thanks for having me. So part of the reason we started Ruthless, honestly, is because of the huge lack of good comedy on the right and we felt like you guys were just a beacon of light right <laughs> it was it wasn't just a lot of of complimentary work out there and uh and i just I, has this been something that has driven you since you first got involved in the babylon b in 2018 like are you just you notice the same thing we have yeah well i mean that's the reason the b is successful i think you know adam Ford, the guy that founded the B, he, he saw that there was this like void on the right for comedy that, you know, basically hit back at the left. They're so good at ridicule and mockery. And I think that 
they have to rely on those weapons um, much more heavily than we do because I think you know we have both arguments um, and ad hominem on our side. You know, we, can, <laughs> we can we can attack people uh, in a humorous way, but we can also make our points and defend them. I think on on the left, there's a lot more need for the ridicule and in, in, in everything because you know a lot of their policies are insane and a lot of their positions are immoral and and so you know they they have to rely on jokes a lot more, but. But for whatever reason, you know, the right historically hasn't been as good at it as the left and, um, and hasn't refined it. And so there was a void there, and that's why the B really took off. So I think we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're by no means alone, but there are few outfits out there who are doing, you know, the type of thing that we're doing as effectively as we're doing it. Um, and the evidence that there was demand for it is just how quickly it got popular. Yeah. So, so what's your background? I mean, have you always been into politics? No, no, not really. I mean, in the politics, I mean, I've had an interest in what's going on in the world, but I was never like, like when I was in college, for example, I was not one of those college students who was, you know, objecting to the war, uh, you know, or, or, or debating these issues. Like I was trying to uh, date girls and party and have fun and, and get by with passing grades, you know? So That's, um, that resonates deeply. So. Yeah. <laughs> so in my, you know, my, my early professional career, I got into like the internet marketing world and started to learn the ins and outs of how to make money online, how to, you know, transform clicks into cash magically. Um, so that, that whole business world is what I originally got into, but always had a, a personal interest. And I would debate my friends on these things. And I read a lot. I've always been an avid reader. So I, and, I, and as I've become an adult, I read a lot more nonfiction than I than I used to. I've become much more interested in history and in political philosophy and stuff like that. So um, at a personal level, yes, I've always had a little bit of an interest, but um, the, it's, 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 the, it's the kind of humor we're doing that I've always been really in tune with. I almost got kicked out of my school at one point for writing a satirical email to the entire staff and faculty <laughs> and, and student body um, that got me in a lot of hot water. So um, I have a long history with saying things that get me in trouble, but it's not that they weren't true. Right. I wasn't supposed to be saying them. That's right. Um, so I continue to be doing that now professionally. That's awesome. Well, you know, one of the things that's so impressive about the B is not only just how witty and funny it all is, but how current it is. And I mean, you all keep up with the news cycle in a way that, I mean, most publications who that's their primary mission aren't able to do. I mean, walk us through what's the newsroom look at like at the Babylon B. I mean, you got to have some great folks. Yeah, we have we have very talented people. Um, Kyle, our editor in chief, has been described by Adam Ford, our founder, as an idea fire hose, and I think that's an accurate description of him. He just sprays really quality ideas all the time. So um, a lot of what we publish comes from his mind, um, but we have a, a great supporting staff that that is also uh, producing a lot of really good content, and then also volunteers. Like we have a a group of people who. Um, who pitch ideas on a regular basis who aren't even on staff. They're just people we've connected with, you know, either they're comedians or political commentators or writers of some sort, and, and they have ideas every now and then that are really good that they share with us, but they're not on staff with us. Um, but yeah, we look up, we wake up every morning and we look at what's going on in the news um, and we pitch ideas back and forth. So, uh, and we're always trying to come up with jokes that are true to like the core of what the Babylon Bee is too, because yeah. it's first and foremost like a Christian conservative satire site that deals a lot with uh, uh, church living, and evangelical Christian culture and things like that. So we're trying to come up with jokes along those lines while at the same time 
um, staying really on the pulse of what's going on in, in culture and politics today and making sure we're uh, publishing content that's going to relate to that. I mean, that's how, that's how we get stuff to go viral is by, is by hitting something right when it's hot. Which blows the minds of libs, by the way, that you could yeah. be Christian, evangelical, and funny, uh, and conservative. Well, and they have... deny that we're funny. They okay, that's right. Why does anyone ever read the Babylon Bee? The Bee's not funny. It's not funny. All they do is make the same jokes over and over again. You know, they don't think it's funny, of course. Um, um, but yeah, it's always weird to me when people can't recognize humor from another perspective. Right? You know, like I, know. I, I love I love a lot of comedians that I don't agree with politically because because it doesn't matter if I agree with them. They're still making a joke that lands. And sometimes the joke, I'm the target of the joke. Um, and I think it's healthy to be able to laugh at yourself. It's very strange to me that they bristle so much when they're the target of the joke. It's not that the joke's not funny. It's that it bothers them and they're offended by it. They're bothered by it. Um, and, and, and that's just silly to me. I think it's kind of immature. It's the, it's the great irony of, of progressive life, right? Is that they're surrounded by artists, comedians, what have you, that attempt to sort of infuse humor and comedy and right. all these things in what they do, and yet they have the worst sense of humor on the face of the planet. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it really is true. I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where that comes I'm not going to try to psychologically uh, analyze that and, and, and explain it away, but I, but I do know that that's what we face all the time is this criticism that we're not funny. I think obviously our success proves that that's not true. Um, a lot of people do find do find our humor funny, but yeah, we just, uh, we, we poke at them. It's funny, our own audience too. We get it with our own audience. So I'm not just gonna poke on the left, uh, poke at the left, but our own audience will email us all the time, <laughs> say, I usually love your satire. You guys are great, You're the best site ever. I'm a huge fan, but this time you went too far. And whatever, <laughs> whatever the piece was, it just happened to hit them personally. And I, I don't know, maybe this is the course that we need to teach in college is how to laugh at yourself or something like people need to learn from an early age that it's okay if jokes are targeted at you. Um, you don't have to get so upset and so offended by it. I'm so glad you brought that up and frankly, a little relieved because we get this all the time on ours, right? I mean, we're, we're everything goes a little too far for somebody, you know, yeah. we, well, the way we justify it is that like, look, we do some comedy here. Everybody's ox is going to get gored at some point. So you know, stick with us. I'm sure we'll laugh our way through it, but you're right. I mean, I think even on the conservative side, there needs to be a desensitivity training at some level. Yeah. Yeah. For real. I mean, it, it is true. Like literally every piece we publish offends somebody and they're saying that we've gone too far. Um, and, and we actually joke about that. We have, well, we'll sometimes reply to these people with a link to an article that mocks people who say our satire has been <laughs> So, and then they just, they don't even know what to do with that because then we're just, you know, layering it on again. Oh, that's so good. So, so what's the future of the bee? Are you guys just growing leaps and bounds? Is this just, just becoming a, a full takeover of the internet? I mean, it feels like it. <laughs> we are, I mean, we're growing for a number of reasons. We're growing because um, the liberal media is attacking us all the time and drawing attention to us. Uh, we're growing because people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump are retweeting, well, Donald Trump, when he could, was retweeting us sometimes. <laughs> right. um, you know, people with large platforms and, and, and public profiles have, have paid attention to us and have, and have promoted us, so that really helps. But um, I think that the biggest thing that's been driving our growth is just consistently putting out good content. You know, we, we have a focus on creating really good content that feeds our audience. It's what they, it's what they want. Um, it's what they came to us for in the first place. And so our talented team consistently puts out good stuff, so we grow. But 
Um, you know, as far as where we go from here, we don't have like a, okay, here's our five-year plan. We're just trying to continue to put out good content and that'll take us where it takes us. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough for doing it. As a fellow conservative, it is a, like I said, a light in, the, in a very dark tunnel of angry progressives that we appreciate. I appreciate we have, that. We have three very important questions here for you, Seth. And, and I think that this, our audience will play very close attention. Uh, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Uh, last on earth. Oh man. Um, like, like I'm on death row. They're about to like, they're about to put me down or electrocute me. And I have, and I have one final meal. Yep. You've got a full carte blanche, anything you want. You know, I love PF chains. (laughs) Come on, get out of here. (laughs) You're going to go with the lettuce wrap? Chains, spicy chicken. Um, (laughs) I would say, you know, my, my favorite, my go-to when I'm going to like a nice, uh, nice restaurant, nice steakhouse or something like that is a surf and turf, you know, like a filet, medium rare with a lobster tail, drawn butter to dip it in. Um, that is like a, that is like an all-time favorite of mine. And it's hard to go wrong with that. But yeah. I am, I am like a sucker for Asian, like sweet and spicy Asian sauces. Um, that's like my favorite thing in the world. So maybe a side of PF Chang's, a side of it, side of PF Chang's with the surf and turf. There you go. There you go. go. All right. So that's, that's good. Actually without the PF Chang's very similar to my answer. Um, uh, second question is if you weren't running the Babylon B, what would you be doing with yourself? Uh, I would be trying to start a competitor to the Babylon Bee and chip away <laughs> at their market share. I, honestly, I mean, uh, like, that's, that's the thing is when I, when I got involved with the Bee, I was like, you know, I wish I'd started this. Um, I'd, always, I, I'd always wanted to do something kind of like that, but was so busy with my own career and everything. Um, getting involved with it and, and now running it is like, it's like a dream come true for me because it's right up my alley in terms of my sense of humor and and, uh, it, and, I, and I think that just the, the using satire, using humor, ridicule, mockery to ridicule bad ideas, and speak truth to culture in that way is so fun and effective. Um, yeah, I'd be looking for a way to, I'd be looking for a way to knock them off. I'd be creating, a, you've got all these knockoff websites all the time. We, we, get, we get contacted by them all the time asking if, it's, if we have their permission or something or, or something will come across our radar. Someone will say, hey, did you guys see that there's this other site that's popping up that's kind of mimicking you and it, their site looks just like yours. I'd be one of those guys. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I get it. You know, we, when we started Ruthless, um, you know, we started just kind of fill a void at the end of an election, but to kind of do the things that you're talking about in an audio format, mm-hmm. bring a lighter side of humor, try to get, you know, politicians on a, a platform where you can make fun of yourself, have some self-deprecating humor, a little something you don't see on cable news. And so I get it. What you're saying resonates so deeply because once you see people actually subscribe to that, right. you know, and, and, and you can see things changing, Pete, the conversations changing, man, it's like the most rewarding thing in the world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it really is. Um, okay. So our final question, and you got to think deeply about this one because it's, it goes to the core. I don't think very deeply, but I'll try. <laughs> so um, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? They're so different. Uh, so you've got positive reinforcement versus punishment, basically. Um, you know, okay, so the agony of defeat is interesting because that, that's when you're failing, you're learning, right? But it, not, it doesn't feel good. No. Uh, 
And that's and like, if you, if you think about one person who embodies the being motivated by the agony of defeat, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah. 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 Hating to lose, hating to lose. Um, I've never been one who hated losing so much. You know, I, I love, I love a success like in, in the entrepreneurial world. Like if we, you know, we've had, we've had websites that we've created or apps that we've created that failed. We dumped a bunch of money into them and it didn't produce anything, but it's kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's like when you're playing, do you, ever, do you play poker? You ever play cards? Yeah. yeah. And there's this concept of, you know, uh, buying information. You know, sometimes you'll call a guy when you know you're not going to beat him, but you want to know what he has. Yeah. Um, and you're just buying information. And uh, I am part, as, as like a high risk entrepreneur type person, I am very willing to do that. And I'm totally okay with doing that because I learned something new and it produces more victory down the road. So I don't know if that means that I'm more motivated by defeat. Yeah, um, but I learn a lot by it. And then I get highly motivated once I start having some successes. So I don't know. That's a tricky, tricky answer to a, a tough question. So I'm not sure if I answered it directly. No, I think, I'm mean, look, it's a, it's a textured answer, right? Yeah. We've got, yeah. we have nice context. I think we've got a good picture. That's the yeah. whole goal of the question, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a great man. question though. It is. It is. Well, you should see politicians struggle to answer it. I mean, yeah. that's, that's yeah. The one that like everybody, they don't want to really give you the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. Listen, Seth, I can't thank you enough for your time. We appreciate what you're doing. We'd love to have you back at some point. Love to, uh, to do whatever we can to help support the Babylon being the good work of the people in your organization. Appreciate that. Thank you, Josh. Thanks. See ya. Bye. So Seth Dillon is a very compelling guy. Again, I, somebody I could see myself hanging out with, uh, sharing a beer and, and telling stories because you just get his brand of humor, his, uh, what they're building over there. I mean, it's just like great stuff. If you don't follow him, you know, follow him on Facebook, Babylon B, follow him on Twitter, Babylon B. Tell your friends about it because they will thank you. They re- the, the staff that they have over there is truly some of the most creative folks we have on our side daily daily they make me crack up yeah yeah well you know i mean i was obviously mentioned in the interview but i mean a lot of the reason why we started ruthless was to fill the void of lack of humor on the conservative side and the only like bright beacon of hope had always been the babylon b they're taking it to a new level man i i just i can't thank them enough for it so the second thing that we need to get to is this virginia uh interview with Glenn Youngkin. And uh, look, Glenn's a really smart guy. He was a CEO of Carlisle, uh, which is a massive private equity group. So you know he knows what he's talking about. He's running for governor. Look, it's a tight race. We're going to find out what happens. Uh, but he heard our interview with Pete Snyder and wanted to come on the program, which I think is the greatest compliment that Ruthless can get is we've got candidates grappling with each other, get on Ruthless. So I love it. Let's get to it. I want to welcome to the program uh, our new candidate for governor here in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Glenn, welcome. Josh, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to, to be spending time with you today. Oh, it's great. So, so here's the deal for our audience. Uh, Virginia, off your election, very important, has huge stakes in terms of what it means for politics going forward. We saw the last time there was Democratic unified government. Uh, In 2009, there was a huge comeback that was basically staged in Virginia. And you can see the seeds of this coming together right now for Republicans in Virginia. Glenn has thrown his hat in the ring. Glenn, you're you're a business guy, right? You're CEO of Carlisle? Yeah, I am. I I have found that uh, 
I'm a different kind of candidate than anybody else in this race. You know, I've had a 30 year business career. Uh, I'm a conservative, I'm a man of faith, uh, and I have been a successful business leader, uh, building jobs and, uh, and building business. And, and that to me has been, uh, I think, very distinctive as I've spoken to Virginians all over this great commonwealth because I just bring a different perspective to things. Uh, it's a common sense perspective about getting things done. It's a recognition that, by the way, in my world, if you actually make promises and don't fulfill them like career politicians do, then you get fired. Uh, that, that results matter. And I think this is just a whole different tone. And I found as I've traveled around this great commonwealth over the last two months in the campaign, uh, it's really resonating. I, you know, Josh, we've traveled 11,000 miles in two months. Uh, and we have met thousands and thousands of Virginians and they want something different. They're tired of career politicians. They're tired of people who actually want the title of being governor as opposed to want to go do the job for them. And uh, that has been a really refreshing, invigorating, and, and encouraging response to a new candidate, somebody who's from the outside and never, never run before. So, Glenn, I got to ask you, you're a successful guy. You, you've you know, conquered the business world in a lot of ways. You've got to have a great life going. What in the heck? made you interested in getting involved in politics? Well, I'm a homegrown Virginian, and uh, I was born in a little part of Richmond called Bonaire, and back in the 60s, Bonaire was, uh, I think, called the other side of the river in all respects, and, and, uh, and I, then in seventh grade, my dad lost his job. My family moved down to Virginia Beach uh, for new opportunities, and and I learned a lot during that time period. My mother was uh, very strong and got a, got a better job. And by the way, you know, I filled out the Ballotpedia thing and it asked me who my hero was. I said, my mom, um, because she is. And I also learned that families can accomplish anything uh, when, when they really put their mind to it. And my family did. And I learned how to work hard. Uh, and the reality is that at 15 years old, I got a job taking out trash and washing dishes at the Belvedere Hotel coffee shop. And you know that that left just an indelible imprint on on my life that there's real dignity in work, and so I've always kept that with me. Um, and so here I am last summer, uh, working hard at Carlisle, and you know I had a chance after a 25 year career to in fact uh, lead Carlisle with another gentleman, and the two of us were were really I think seeing uh, Carlisle perform very well. Uh, and meanwhile, I was watching uh, our, our great Commonwealth perform incredibly poorly. And I was really sad and angry by it. You know, I, I, I believe that my, my family, I have these, these great kids that Suzanne and I have raised and, and our church family and, and our community actually deserves so much better than, than what uh, we were getting from Richmond and from our Democrat-led government. So I got up out of my chair on a, late on a Friday and I grabbed Suzanne and and we went for a walk and I told her that I was gonna quit my job the next day um, and that I was gonna, gonna get ready to run for governor. And, and she did what you would expect. She looked at me and she said, are you having a midlife crisis? I mean, yeah, what's right. going on here? Why don't you just buy a Porsche? <laughs> yeah, and, and I said, no, I'm having a Virginia crisis. And I just think our Commonwealth is in the ditch. And I think that the Democrats are leading her in the totally wrong direction. And all the things that we believe and stand for aren't represented today in a Democrat, Democrat, Democrat-led Richmond. And we're going to go try to make a real difference. And so we got tired of being on the sidelines complaining, and we got in the arena full on. So, like, and so me, we got ready to run, and here we are. Glenn, you've made a career out of making 
wise investments. You can read data as well as anybody else. Obviously, Virginia has been on a pretty steep slide into deep blue territory uh, over the last decade. Um, is there a confluence of issues? Are there things changing, particularly in Northern Virginia, that you think would give you the capability of competing in a general election that just haven't been there over the last decade? Yeah, I think there's actually uh, a number of factors at play here. First is, I think the economic reality of where Virginia is, is not well understood. And I've said frequently that I, I think that the message that people have heard from Terry McAuliffe and Ralph Northam is actually filled with untruths. Uh, that Virginia is great to do business in and we're a leading business environment when the reality is <clears throat> that when you really look at the hard data and relative to our peer states, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and even Maryland, those states have been growing economically much faster and they've been creating many more jobs. And that's just real. And I just don't think Virginians fully appreciate what's been happening around us. But the real telltale is that over the last few years, we've actually seen more Virginians move away from Virginia than into people, families moving into Virginia. And where families are going, of course, is Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Texas. And they're moving away because the job opportunities are better, the cost of living is more attractive, they can actually buy a house and they keep more of their income because the taxes in Virginia are higher. And, uh, and in fact, the opportunities for life are better. And that just can't be. The, the, the great commonwealth that I grew up in and that we've raised our family in should indeed be the best place in America to live and work and raise a family. And yet it's not. And so that's an economic reality that I think Virginians are now beginning to really understand. I think second of all, we've seen in Richmond what Democrat, Democrat, Democrat leadership results in. And that is a huge lurch left on so many topics that all of a sudden Virginians, not just Republicans, but Virginians are recognizing that if we in fact have out of control parole boards, or we in fact have the expectation that right to work is going to go away and further damage our business environment, or we recognize that the only way that the runaway budgets in Richmond could be maintained is by tax increases, which is what we've seen in a cost of living increase in Virginia over the last eight years, Virginians are tired of it. I mean, what I hear from folks everywhere I go is, I'm worried about my economic future. I'm worried about my kids' schools. Here we are with, with schools closed all over the Commonwealth that, that our children don't get to make a choice to be in class. The schools are making the choice for us. We have, we have school boards who are making decisions to kick Dr. Seuss out of school but they're actually not opening the schools for the kids when study after study after study tells us that the safest place for our children to be is in school. And so this is why, this is why I'm quite confident that I'm gonna win in May and win in November because Virginians are looking for a different kind of leader. So Glenn, I think one of the most fascinating things to find out about people who are ultimately running for office is when they sort of found their true core beliefs and when they kind of came to the realization that they were a conservative and they were a Republican. Me, for example, I grew up in the household of, of two Democrat farmer labor Democrats in Minnesota, but somehow through Ronald Reagan and, and the like became a conservative and it just never left me. 
do you have, I mean, your, your growing up is very interesting to me. Do you have sort of a moment where you realized, man, I, I, I'm a Republican? Yeah, there's, there, it's, it's a bit like finding your faith, right? You have a moment where you, have a moment where you recognize um, that there is absolutely a, a path to a relationship with a savior in your faith, um, and then you're on a walk for a long time. And the same thing in a lot, of, a lot of moments where you begin to build your, your political philosophy. So I'll just go back to the moment I was mentioning. When I, when I received my very first paycheck when I was 15, working at, a, working at a diner, taking out the trash, and I actually took that paycheck and deposited it in a little bank around the corner from our house. It was in a grocery store. And, and that paid, I, I have felt, I felt an enormous amount of, of purposefulness and pride. Uh, I know you're not supposed to be prideful, but pride, uh, and that there's dignity in work. And so at the core has been a real recognition <clears throat> that, that hard work and dignity, not, not handouts, but sometimes hand-ups, are an incredibly important part of the foundation of what this great country has been built on. <clears throat> and then along the way in my life, I've just had moments where, where, where the reality of small government versus big government just became so real. You cannot be a business person and actually believe that government run anything is a good idea. Not to mention Democrats running government trying to run something. Um, right. And, and you know, th that is just, you just can't do what we do in the world of business and begin to think that anything other than small government, anything other than low taxes, low regulations is hugely important. Well, listen, uh, Glenn, I, I give you a lot of credit. It takes courage to be a, a conservative business person these days. It, it, you'd be sort of uh, blind not to notice the shift of wo woke corporate culture these days. And coming out of that and running for governor as a conservative is sort of unique in this day and age. I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that, about how sort of the, the business world that you have been accustomed to has decided to basically, I don't know, capitulate, I guess, to, to this left-leaning definition of who they are and what they ought to be doing. Well, I, I, I first think that um, not all businesses have. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of this has to do with, with some businesses see their customers as in different spots and, and they are, are uh, recognizing that they want to do um, what's right for their, for their customers in some circumstances. Um, but I've actually seen quite a different example of businesses leading in and, and, and leading through um, good, solid uh, principles that aren't based on chasing a social trend. And it was something that my, my wife, Suzanne, and I started uh, last April called Virginia Ready. And we were, we were sitting on a Saturday morning and, and felt an, an, an amazing sense of, of, of uh, you know, just real purpose into trying to do something for so many Virginians that had lost their jobs because of the pandemic. And Suzanne, who's my lovely wife of nearly 27 years, she said, you know, Glenn, um, we, know the, we know the famous adage, uh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. And we actually should really think about how we retrain people. And so we wrote a business plan that weekend. And, and over the course of the next week, we started calling leading employers across Virginia. And what we found was that there were tens of thousands of open positions in technology, in healthcare, in manufacturing, and in logistics 
And these positions were sitting empty in the middle of a pandemic where 1.5 million Virginians were filing for first-time unemployment benefits. And I might add, I think so much of that was unnecessary because our governor kept our economy shut in a way that was unnecessary. We can absolutely look after lives and livelihoods and do it safely without shutting things unnecessarily. So we had all of these folks who had lost their jobs um, or had their employment disrupted. And so what Virginia Ready did was bring together this list of employers and these positions. Then we worked with the community colleges and figured out that there were um, credentialing courses available in six to 12 weeks that you could in fact be trained and go get one of these jobs. And then we put together $10 million in 10 weeks. And I'll say that again, we put together $10 million in 10 weeks from these, from these companies and, and Suzanne and I contributed and other outsiders. And we put together a business-led, private sector-led program to help people find new careers. The government didn't have to do this. And in fact, it was led by companies that wanted to do the right thing for people. And it was so inspiring because when this launched in August, in the midst of you know, the poor community colleges trying to figure out how to get classes online or in person, um, we just found a flood, a flood of business interest. We had enormous amount of earned media and all of a sudden people started to sign up. And two and a half thousand people since the launch of Virginia Ready in Virginia have started this journey of signing up, starting classes and getting jobs, new careers in high growth, high demand industries. And it's amazing set, it's almost 60% uh, minorities, it's almost 60% women, um, and this is actually being done by the private sector. That's great. And so I do believe, I do believe that in fact, that the private sector can in fact um, initiate things like this consistent with, with conservative values. This is all about giving people a hand up not a hand out. That's great and good to hear and, and thank you for doing it. Boy, oh boy, does it need some, we need some leadership in that area. So we appreciate it. Uh, before we get to our three questions, Virginia's got a little bit of a funky primary system with this convention. You want to take a second and explain it to folks so they know how to vote for you if they want to? Yeah, no, thank you. So, so the, the Republican Party of Virginia's leading organization or decision organization is called the State Central Committee. And the State Central Committee, after a fair amount of time of toing and froing, I have to say, I actually was strongly encouraging them to get on with it. Um, they finally got on with it. And, and what, they've, what they've settled on is what is called an unassembled convention. What it basically means is there's 37 locations across the Commonwealth where people from all of the various counties and, and, and cities will have a chance to go vote on May the 8th. And that, that vote will actually determine who's gonna be the Republican nominee to go run against whomever the Democrats put up. Um, I so look forward to being that nominee. I think the goal of this whole process is to pick the candidate that can win. And I believe I'm that candidate who can beat Terry McAuliffe or whoever else they put up. The process of voting on May the 8th does require people to, to file a, a equivalent of a registration uh, statement an application to be what's called a delegate. Now it's not the same kind of delegate that goes and serves in the House of Delegates. Um, this is a delegate to this convention and you can find your form on our website. We'll, we'll make it as easy as we can for folks. You can go to youngkinforgovernor.com and we'll help you walk through the process of just filing to be a delegate in the jurisdiction in which you live. 
what that requires is you to fill out the form and get it filed. Um, there's deadlines along the way in every uh, jurisdiction, every county or city in, in Virginia has a slightly different deadline. Some have already passed and some are coming up this week and some are gonna be in the next few weeks. And so I encourage everybody to get on with it um, as quickly as they can, because we'd love to have as many people participating as possible. That's great. And then you'll show up on May the 8th and you'll cast your ballot and your, your ballot actually will be a different kind of ballot. It'll be a rank ordered choice ballot. So candidate one, two, three, four, five, there's six people, uh, actually seven people that have filed to run for and, and filed the final fees and everything to run for governor. And you'll rank order choice them. I would uh, really uh, humbly ask people put Glenn Youngkin as one. Um, and then you can put whoever you want as two, three, four, and five. Um, but I'd humbly ask people to put Glenn Youngkin as one. I do believe that I am the candidate that can represent our shared values. And I'm the candidate who can win in November against Terry McAuliffe, wherever else they put up. But Josh, that's how the process is working. People do need to be proactive and get moving. And again, you can come to youngkinforgovernor.com and find the forms. And we actually have we actually have some folks or help desk folks that'll help you get filed if you need the help. That's great. Okay. Well, let's get to the let's get to the three questions here because our Virginia listeners are going to be paying close attention to this, Glenn. This is your last meal on earth. If you have a chance to plan for it, what are you going to eat? I, I have to admit that it's going to end up being a double cheeseburger all the way uh, with with a big old side of onion rings. That's just it. Um, Any particular, is this a homemade burger? You know, the reality is I actually like to cook. You know, one of the things yeah. that came out of, came out of my early, early days was I got promoted from being the dish, from being the dishwasher and the take out the trash guy. Uh, and I got promoted to being the breakfast and lunch cook. And so I'm pretty good at, pretty good at grilling up a cheeseburger. All right. All right. Well, that's, that's fair enough. Let's go to question number two here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add an adaptation to this because you've only been in politics for a few months. So if you weren't in politics or business, what would you be doing with your life? Well, um, that actually puts me right square into one. We'd continue to be very engaged in our church, but I'd be a high school basketball coach. There you go. I knew, that was, I knew we could get the basketball thing out one way or another. I'd be a high school basketball coach. There's nothing uh, more rewarding than working with young people and teaching them how to actually come together as a team and to recognize that it's not the person that scores the most points that's the most valuable player, but it's the one that helps the team win. And uh, I've just loved coaching even, you know, my own children, my daughter and our, and our three sons, but so many other kids over the years and just watch them learn that big, big lesson, which is it's about the team, not the individual. Yeah, that's great. And you yourself were a college basketball player, correct? Yeah, I was. I was. I, I, uh, I was a very good high school basketball player in, in uh, Norfolk. And then I was a very mediocre college basketball player. Um, but I went to school at Rice University in Houston, Texas. It's a, it was a great opportunity for me. I was a Division I athlete and full scholarship player. Um, and I actually got to serve as co-captain of the team my senior year, which was really, really a, a, an honor for me. Uh, and I learned a lot of lessons being a college basketball player about grit and hard work and teamwork. That's great. All right, third and final question for you. What motivates Glenn Youngkin more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Well, it's a, it's a really interesting, uh, sharp edge question because I hate losing. There you go. I hate losing. <laughs> I can and, tell. I, and oh, by the way, I play to win. Um, you know, I my kids always, my kids always laugh because, you know, we'll play a game and I'm like, okay, let's keep score. And I'm like, why are we playing if we're not keeping score? 
Uh, so whether, you know, whether it's a card game or ping pong or horse in the driveway or, or uh, you know, who can walk across the street the fastest. I mean, I'm competitive and I like to win. And I actually think this is one of the challenges with the Republican Party. I think we have got to remind ourselves that we're doing this to, to, to win because being the minority party in the House of Delegates and in the Senate and actually having a Democrat governor, you know, what this means is that Governance, is, governance for the Democrats have been like a combine through a wheat field. They pass bill after bill after bill after bill. We can't stand up and we can't, we can't prevent it. And it's taken the Commonwealth in the wrong direction. And oh, by the way, we're seeing it in local elections too, where this flood of money from outside Virginia has come in and is actually really tipping the scale against good Republican conservative values in so many places. Josh, I'll tell you, this is why my wife and I started three weeks ago, uh, something called Virginia Wins. And we made, we made a big forward uh, commitment. And I'll tell everybody, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I have had more, bad, more good days than bad days. And so we just think it's time to fill a hole that the Republican Party of Virginia has not been able to really fill, which is to support local candidates. You know, school board races and Commonwealth's attorney races and supervisory board races and city council races and sheriff races and yes, delegate races so that we can in fact combat the flood of money that comes in from outside Virginia, from people who don't live here and don't really care about Virginians. They're just trying to push an agenda that's liberal and left. Well, we gotta, we gotta actually stand up and push back. And so this is, about, this is about winning. It's about having conservative voices in these important seats so that we can in fact have a voice. Because otherwise, you know, sitting on the sidelines and complaining is just no place to be. Yep. So okay. yeah, I'm all, I'm all I'm all about playing to win, Josh. Okay. All right. Well, Glenn, listen, we really appreciate the time you've given us. I, I think we've gotten a, a good look at who you are, who you are as a candidate. You can plug your website one more time, Glenn. Sure. It's yunkinforgovernor.com. All right. And I just invite everybody to come 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 join the campaign. We got a ton of momentum, and I so look forward to having the opportunity to go work for Virginians. And this is what governors should do. They should go work for Virginians. It's not about getting a title. It's about doing the job. And I think I can really do the job well with all of your support come November. All right, Glenn Youngkin, folks. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Great interview. You know, I really love that Ruthless is now becoming the first stop for candidates. You, you're coming here to, you're coming on Ruthless to announce you're running for president. If there's a primary, you're coming on Ruthless, you're making your case. We've had, we've had two folks running for governor in Virginia on the show. And I, you know what? I, I love that Youngkin was, was listening to the show and he's like, okay, hey, I'm running for this seat too. I'm going to come on the show. Yeah, let me get on there. I, I appreciate the fact that in the episode that we go absolutely ham on the MLB and baseball in general, we have a doubleheader interview. Right. There you go. There you <laughs> that's go. A, that's a little dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's great stuff anyway well look um guys next on thursday special treat right because we wrap up hack madness huge you're gonna get one shiny moment you're huge. gonna get it huge i'm i'm super excited holmes wrote wrote these lyrics that are that are incredible we're gonna see michael duncan Go full Dr. Dre on the boards and produce the hell out of this. It's going to be incredible. Well, you know, I mean, I'm going to be reluctant and act like I don't want to do it. And then I'm going to bring every ounce of passion to the project. I'm going to be like Liza Minnelli. Yeah. It's going to be incredible. Incredible. And so remember, folks, 
hashtag hack madness on Twitter. You want to vote. It's, it's, it's the championship round. We've got Jen Rubin versus Chris Fredo Cuomo. And I think it's going to be huge. We're going to get an insane number of votes. Voting is underway. Vote right now if you have not. Well, Smug. It's another great episode, right? We got that one in the can. We do. We do. Sign us out of here. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. Stay ruthless. We'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>